all we're gonna do is glasses and ice them and that's it yeah. but that's not gonna be the future and i learned that very quickly like you know about five or ten years ago hey that's not the way we're gonna go you have to specialize you have to find a niche find something that you love find your niche and you know charge for your services because if you're gonna be doing eye exams just regular eye exams or you know what makes you different from someone else How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the 2020 podcast, bringing clarity to business, entrepreneurship, and life. I am your host, Dr. Harbir Sayan. Thank you again, as always, for taking the time to join me here to learn and to grow. I truly, truly appreciate your presence and your support, guys. If you haven't already, please do subscribe. You can subscribe on YouTube if you like to watch, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and follow along on Spotify as well. And make sure you leave a review, leave a comment, let me know what you think. Tell me which guests you love. Tell me which content you love so I know which guests to bring on. I like to bring on people who can help inspire us and motivate us to grow and to do more, no matter what profession you happen to be in. And today's guest is an excellent example of that within the optometry field. Uh, his name is Dr. Sherman Tung, who is an optometrist here in Vancouver in the beautiful Caresdale neighborhood. He has a residency, or has completed a residency in ocular disease and also a fellowship in myopia management. His practice is called iLab and is a pediatric specialty practice. And Sherman himself spends a lot of time in myopia management. So we're gonna dig into myopia management today, learn a lot about Sherman's uh, different practices, different techniques, and also we'll learn a little bit about the business side of things. What does it take to start a specialty practice? Is that a good decision to make? And a lot of Sherman's insights actually go back to his experience within our association. Sherman is former president of the BC Doctors of Optometry, another pretty amazing title and ama amazing amount of experience that he has uh, within the association and networking across the country in across North America. And he's applying a lot of those lessons to his practice now. So really an incredible person to learn from. Before we go into the episode, I want to thank our sponsor, which is Hoya Vision Care Canada. Hoya has the new MyoSmart lens, which is an incredible new technology for us as optometrists to offer our young myopic patients. The MyoSmart lens employs the new patented DIMS technology to help slow down the progression of myopia. In a two-year clinical study, uh, it was shown the MyoSmart lens decreased myopic progression by 59% and axial elongation by 60%. To learn more about the MyoSmart lens, check out Hoya.ca or of course, reach out to your local Hoya rep. And without further ado, here is the episode with Dr. Sherman Tung. And of course, stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming soon. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys, here we are with Dr. Sherman Tung. Dr. Tung, thank you so much for taking the time and staying late in your practice to, to uh, participate in this interview tonight. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. So let's start with, you know, I gave a, a brief intro, intro to you in the intro to the podcast, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what you do, you know, where you practice, um, what your life is like kind of day to day. Kind of tell you a little bit more about myself. I actually uh, graduated from UBC, so born and raised in Vancouver. Um, then I did my schooling in Chicago. Um, after Chicago ICO, um, I did another residency, so in Auckland disease. Um, so that's where I was going towards awkward disease. And then um, I get bored easily. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I came back, 
I, you know, I worked for, you know, corporate and then I got bored of that. Then I did my own private practice. Um, so I opened it with a partner um, and then I got bored. Then <laughs> I, uh, I joined the association. We can talk a little bit more about that later. And then, yeah, so now I kind of have a feeling what I'd like to do is uh, pediatric optometry. So I just opened another clinic, uh, just specializes mostly in uh, pediatric uh, eye care. So that's kind of a little bit about me. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Well, you know what? Some people get bored and they just sit on the couch mm-hmm. and watch reruns of shows and eat chips you get bored and you're like let me do even bigger let me go even bigger every time uh that's pretty cool so i wanted to you know we're definitely going to talk about the practice we're going to talk about pediatric optometry myopia control that type of stuff but i want to rewind and go to the the you know your you were your former president of the bc doctors of optometry Uh, i'd love for you to share with me what your path was like how did you get involved and what led you to become the president of the association uh, okay. How, <laughs> How much time do we have, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is how it all started. Um, I think one of the things that I was a little bit upset at that time was I didn't know what my association, what my association did for me. Like, why am I paying all these dues? And I have no idea. Hmm. So before I quit anything, I always want to figure out, you know, I want to find out why I'm quitting and have a good reason before I quit. So I actually joined the membership committee. And to learn more about what does BCAO do for us. I think you well, and I were on that committee together, actually. Yes. Because I was on that committee. Yeah, when we recruited you after when I moved up to the next level. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I learned about it. And I didn't half the stuff that I didn't know what they do for us. Like they advocate for us. You know, they have so much resources, like all the networking. It's because I was a new grad and I never had um, was tapped into that. I didn't understand what they did. And I think one of the reasons why during my time when I finished graduating is that there were more, back then there was more Canadians that graduated from Waterloo than from American schools at that time. So at that time, when I come back, like everyone knew each other and I didn't really know anyone there. So mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why you should join the association. You can get to uh, meet new people. Right. So I was learning about it. Like, wow, um, they actually do a lot. You know, like they, each time we have a negotiation for a contract with MSP, they go negotiate like as I was getting more involved in helping each other, uh, helping the association, I found out that they do a lot for us. And um, so, Hey Sherman, you've been very involved. We like to be part of a board member. I was like, yeah, that's fine. One year term. That's fine. Hey Sherman. Um, and then we had this year where there was no succession planning mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they were like, okay, we need someone to really step up. And they kind of looked at me, Sherman, what do you think? I was like, no, I'm not ready. Like, There's no way. <laughs> Uh, but somehow I was like, fine, if I get elected again, maybe I'll consider it. And the next thing you know it, I was like, oh, I'm president. Uh, <laughs> just like that. Just like that. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of my story, how I went through, um, you know, about to quit, to learn more about it, and then how much, you know, the association does for us. And that's why, like, I'm still, um, you know, part of the association. Yeah, I might not be the president anymore, but I do part of like C committee oh, cool. and all different committees. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know, I, I know that you're, you're still very involved and, and it's always appreciated. You know what? Um, I've been part of the association of, you know, my entire career. And um, I know that when you were president, uh, you know, things were going in the right direction and, and people really appreciated the work you're doing. So thank you for that. Um, 
interesting couple of interesting things there you know like again you were about to quit and rather than just quitting flat out like this seems useless to me let me actually think let me actually learn about what is happening here maybe i'm missing something maybe i'm not quite seeing the full value in it what, you know why does this thing even exist if it really sucks that bad but it turns mm-hmm. out it doesn't it's just there's maybe a miscommunication or misunderstanding of the full capacity of what happens uh, i think that's really important in a lot of ways before somebody can quits their job or quits their profession or whatever they might like to see what else is out there. Uh, you mentioned MSP just for the people who are listening, who don't know what MSP is. Uh, that's our, Oh, what's the right way of saying this? Um, our provincial uh, healthcare plan, I guess you can call it like, you know, everybody talks about Canada having this universal healthcare. That's the, uh, the, the um, sort of the part of the government that pays for certain parts of healthcare. And so, our association negotiates with them to increase the fees that the government pays us for certain services that we do, just so we're on the same page about that. Yeah. So what did your job as the president entail? Like, what, okay, let's narrow that down. What was the coolest thing you did as the president? <laughs> actually, it's actually personal growth, to be honest. Like, okay. I gained a, even though I gave a lot of time to the association, I gained a lot back just by the different meetings you have to go to, all the leadership um, responsibilities that you have to, you know, you have to lead by example, you know, to go to these different meetings. But one cool thing that I learned a lot during the association, during these meetings is that you meet different leaders and or forefront thinkers like, hey, where's the profession going to go? And you pick up on it, you listen to them. It's like, you know, at the time you might think, oh, they're crazy. Why are you thinking about that? All we're going to do is glasses and eyes and that's it. But that's not going to be the future. And I learned that very quickly, like, you know, about five or 10 years ago, hey, that's not the way we're going to go. You have to specialize. You have to find a niche. Find something that you love, find your niche, and, you know, charge for your services. Because if you're going to be doing eye exams or just regular eye exams or, you know, what makes you different from someone else? And that's what really engraved me as a president, you know, as the role of president. I learned a lot. What's the future going to be like? And how do you want that future to look like? And these leaders are kind of shaping it. And when you hear the industry leaders, what the industry is telling you, you know, what everyone's seeing, it gives you that different insight. So that's yeah, one of the yeah. coolest things that I learned as a president. That is actually really cool. And I, I know that from being part of the association, I see that other uh, provincial presidents come to our meetings and, you know, everybody's kind of uh, networking and, and discussing things. So it makes sense. You would be chatting with the kind of the, the foremost people and the people who are kind of cutting edge and whatnot. So, so you would be a good person to, to follow as far as a, you know, what you're doing in business and what you're doing in your optometry clinic. And here you are specializing in pediatric optometry, which, uh, you know, I don't know how many people I know who are really specializing. I know some people do VT and I like, some people like to do myopia control, but that's like, you just do those things. You don't do the regular stuff anymore. So maybe that's something that we all need to, the rest of us need to catch up on is, is start to really specialize and, and cut down into, into that niche that you're saying. So when is it that you decided to do the, the pediatric optometry? What was, cause I know you, you, you kind of re renovated and rebranded and everything, your practice, right? What was it called before? When did you make the decision to, to switch? Oh, over? I used, I used to be at another practice and oh, what we did was in, um, Back in 2010, when we first opened that new practice, it was kind of like, hey, we're going to be your family eye care. Right. And that's how we started. Uh, we kind of outgrew that space. And it was great. I built, a, you know, had a great clientele. Uh, the problem was 
it's kind of like a family GP, like I did the same thing over and over. And, you know, it wasn't getting that same satisfaction. It wasn't like, really, you know, I did enjoy optometry, but the great thing about optometry is that whatever you do, there's so many different ways, things you can do. There's like low vision, there's VT, there's lots of different things. And one of the things that I've always really, really interested was myopia management. But, you know, as a business mind, if you want to just open an office just for myopia management, you know, it might be a little bit hard. So I find out for another doctor, um, hired as an associate, she does the VT stuff. So I see this lot hand in hand when I see a lot of kids, it's like, hey, you know what, you need VT. And there's, there's not a lot of VT doctors in Vancouver, like on the west side of Vancouver. So I saw a need for that. And I was getting a lot more myopia management patients. So I needed to create a bigger space. So, hey, you know, put two to two together. Like, let's make a pediatric office that does, you know, kids exams, VT, you know, uh, myopia management. Most of these are geared more towards kids. Mm. So that's the reason why we kind of open up um, like a pediatric office. And it's fairly new, right? When did you guys officially open iLab? Officially opened this year in February 2020 for one month. It's perfect we timing. Down. Wow, fantastic. You know what? There's never ever like a perfect timing, yeah, but, yeah. you know, anytime I, um, you know, you just roll with it. You know, it is what it is. Um, we did close for two months, but hey, during those two months, I had time to study for my fellowship, which I got for oh, my Congratulations. Um, and then I'm also working out all the different protocols. Like I feel you know, gave us that extra time to like, hey, what are our protocols? What are our procedures? Kind of prep us for, you know, when we do open full-time, you know, we have everything all in set. Like, um, so things will be more organized. Yeah. What advice would you have for somebody who's kind of approaching that, maybe getting bored <laughs> like you did of the the kind of the family practice setting and wants to specialize? What What is it that they should look for? Like maybe psychologically mentally for themselves to be prepared for it but also what should they see in their practice that could they could use as kind of landmarks to say okay this is a good time for me to make that leap into a specialty i think it really depends on what type of stage in your optometry life you are i think if you're young you know within the first 10 years of your career just go for it whatever you love whatever you find you know just go for it mm -hmm. the only way you're going to learn is actually just going for it and one of the characters of optometrists is that we don't like to take risk. <laughs> I just, most optometrists don't like to take risk. I don't know why, but if it's within your first 10 years, just go for it. What's the worst case scenario? You'll just can work for someone else later down the road. Um, but if you're kind of going where you have a big patient base and you're like, Hey, what I'm going to start doing, then you got to start thinking about how you're going to strategize because you can't just go cold turkey and say, I'm not seeing these patients and you already build up these patients expecting to see you. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the part where you might hire another associate, you know, you know, if you want to start dividing, you might want, let's say your optometry is called, I don't know, Eyes Vancouver, you know, you might want to branch it out like Eyes Vancouver family, and you might want to do Eyes Vancouver kids, or I, you know, Eyes Vancouver VT or something along those lines. So you can still have your name under that and you can kind of branch it off and you might want to do that if it's more than 10 years. So that's kind of like what my advice is. But you, again, you have to look at your clientele, talk to your, I think the best thing is, or oh, one thing that I learned as a president is most offices don't have a strategic plan. So I know it's hard, but if you can take maybe two or three days out of the whole year, kind of do a retreat and have all your staff members like, hey, what's our vision for the next two or three years? 
and plan it because if you think about it, you still need your whole team to kind of buy into it. So that's something that you might want to consider like strategic planning, like, hey, what do we want to see ourselves in five years? Are we happy doing the same thing what we're doing? And, you know, if you are, then, you know, you might not want to do niche kind of stuff. But if it's something like, hey, I want to kind of incorporate this, then you might want to consider that. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good idea. Well, obviously having a plan and a vision of where you want your practice to go, but the idea of um, like how if you're more established, how to slowly, you should probably slowly branch off and create that niche versus like uh, cold turkey because it would be hard. It would be hard to be like, oh, my practice is running so smoothly and I'm you know bringing in all this revenue and all of a sudden stop that and now I'm going to just try this other thing. It's hard to get that revenue or get all those patients back in the door, back in the chair again. So it makes sense to kind of ease into it. So I wanted to you know, focus a bit on, on the, the, your specific specialty, right? You see a lot of kids for myopia management, myopia control. It's a hot topic right now. Um, the prevalence of myopia is increasing, obviously. Like, what are the, like, if you can give me kind of your, your main options, your main treatment options for uh, kids that you would be seeing in your practice, what are your kind of go-tos? And are there, if you, if you don't mind, kind of like, what would kind of help you lean towards one or the other in, in some, like if there's certain criteria that you're following as well? Wow, that's a loaded question. It I'll is. try to summarize. <laughs> well, your viewers, I guess if you're like a doc, you know, like if you're an optometrist, then the best example I can give you is like glaucoma. So there's no one silver bullet that would treat your glaucoma. It's not like, okay, let's use a prostaglandin and you're done. You know, you kind of have to see what type of glaucoma you have, you know, what's your systemic, then you'll figure out drops the best thing to do or SLT is the best thing to do or maybe surgery if it's end stage kind of thing. Same thing with myopia. So there's different stages. So you kind of want to be aware of, you know, what's the best option for that child. But having said that, you know, the main kind of four things that are kind of in the market right now, one will be, my, the one that I like to go to, number one, is orthokeratology, okay, lenses. Um, that's the type of lenses where you wear at nighttime, it reshapes your cornea, and then when you wake up in the morning, you can see clearly for the whole day. Um, that's my, kind of my specialty. Uh, the other one, sometimes not all children can put hard contact lens or you know, parents are not comfortable with that. Uh, then you have your specialty kind of multifocal kind of designs. So same like from Cooper Vision, like your MySight, um, that's those type of contact lenses. Um, each one has their pros and cons, some have the limitations, like what the parameters are. So you gotta keep that in mind. Um, the third one is atropine. Um, so atropine drops. Um, and then lastly is the newest one is from Hoya, the MyoSmart lenses. Um, been eyeing on that for a while. Um, so that one is actually a pretty good lens also. So if someone can't do contact lenses or drops, you know, then glasses, MyoSmart would be a good option also. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll come back to the MyoSmart in a minute because I think there's a, there's some cool things to chat about there. But um, what would you say, if you don't mind, just as briefly as you can, what do you think are like, or what are not, what do you think? What are the parameters or limitations of ortho-K? Like what patient are you fitting into ortho-K? Um, and which one would you put into the, the MySight lens? And then I have a couple of questions about atropine as well. Okay. So for orthokeratology, it really depends on what type of lenses you're using. So it's not just one type of lens and that's it. Like mm. 
within the parameters of also K, there's different treatment zones. There's different sizes you can uh, manipulate. Um, the different curves you can manipulate. So in the beginning, when I first started, you know, if you use like one of those ones that are commercialized brands that you can use, they have certain parameters. Usually, less than one and a half doctor still has to make sure it's with the rule, and usually anything below minus five. Mm -hmm. uh, those are kind of your nice ideal patients, and you always want to start with like easy patient, like the minus one or minus two. But as I learned through this fellowship process, like you start to customize your own lenses. And when you can customize your own lenses, then you can go up to like minus eight, minus nine, minus 10. Wow. And because of the newer designs now, um, back then I couldn't fit people with astigmatism. Now we can do bitoric ortho K lenses. Hmm. And before back then, you can't do anyone with more than two sill or, you know, now, I can do that too now because it's different bitoric base curves. So orthokeratology came a long, long way, but it's not very commercialized yet. So most of my lenses right now, I design them on my own, like wow. custom make them. So that's why I can fit way higher different parameters. Cool. But if you're starting out, you know, talk to your lab um, and then they'll tell you which lens they feel comfortable using and they'll tell you what the parameters are. Start off easy first. Um, but there's one piece of equipment that you have to buy if you start also okay, like it's like bare minimum, you have to buy a topographer. Mm. Because if you don't, you won't know how the lens sit on your eyes when they sleep. Right. So don't practice ortho ortho K if you don't have a topographer. <laughs> basic okay? basic advice. I appreciate yeah. that. Um I, have I, you had much experience using the MySight lens from um Cooper? Yeah, so the MySight lens are um, so for my patients that are under minus one, usually I don't really fit them with ortho K yet. Okay. okay. So for minus one, that's where I might fit them with a my side or minus one, but we'll talk about minus one uh, later. But my side is really great for that. Okay. Um, sometimes kids don't feel comfortable sleeping at night or they don't like the comfort of it. Or maybe I have like a 16 year old, you know, like ortho K might not slow it down as much. So maybe I'll start with my site. So those are kind of like my patients where I start my site with. Okay. Uh, the drawback of my site is that if you have cell, you know, it's hard to mask. So if you have more than a quarter, it's coming like, let's say you're minus four, minus one, so can get away with it. But if you're minus four, minus three, then you can't really fit that. So those yeah. are pros and cons. Makes sense. Do you do, um, do you prescribe atropine a fair amount or, or not as much since you do lenses more? So the great thing about ortho K right now, I can, okay, we can never promise that we can stop the progression. It's like impossible. You'll, you'll be lying to your patients, but you can slow it down. Um, if I do have some patients where I'm on another treat, I don't use atropine as my first line treatment. I use it as my second line treatment. So if they're still progressing quickly, then I will start them on atropine gotcha. that's how i do it but before options i did start on atropine but now we have different op more options now i usually use atropine as my second line gotcha. and when you say second line the first line didn't work so you stop using it and then you started atropine or do they overlap at some points do you I double up? just overlap you just double them up yeah okay and that's been a question that i've heard come up you know obviously if we know you know, uh, option A will decrease or, or potentially decrease progression X amount. 
Option B will decrease it Y amount. What if you put them together, would it increase it or improve the, the results significantly? Oh, we're waiting for all those studies to come out. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they're doing a lot of those studies. Got it. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, well, the, the last of those, um, uh, the fourth option that you, you had mentioned was the MyoSmart lens from Hoya, which is an exciting new option. Um, I wanted to dig into that a little bit and tell us, if you don't mind, MyoSmart is based on the DIMS technology. Would you be able to kind of elaborate a bit about what the DIMS technology is? Yeah. Um, so this lens, like, just to let you know, it just didn't come out last year or something. It's actually been out for a while. It's been out since like 2013, 2014. Um, and so they were designed from Polytech University in Hong Kong. So the whole idea of myopia management is based on the, I'm going to go a little bit technical, uh, hyperopic defocus and the myop, peripheral myopic defocus. You can go oh, lots of technical, man. by the way. It's going to be, this conversation is going to be mostly ODs tuning in and wanting to learn. So go as technical as you want. Okay. So the idea is that if you wear regular glasses or wear regular contact lenses, um, on the peripheral, you're going to get hyperopic defocus, which means that the focal point is behind the retina. And those send signals to the brain, and the brain will send a signal to the retina, and the eyeball will elongate. So every single time your prescription goes up, you get new glasses or contacts, it sends those signals again, over focus, and your eyeball will get longer and longer and longer. So the idea with ortho-K is that your central vision is still clear, but your peripheral rays is actually in front of the retina. So now we don't send those signals. So that's how it slows it down. So DIMS technology try and mimics that. So instead of using an OK lens, you're actually using a lens and they use these kind of little, I actually have a sample of it. Oh, sweet, great. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Like you can't really see it, but I'm not sure if you can, uh, probably not. I thought you might be able to see it. But anyway, so the idea of the lens is that um, I love, sorry, I'm one of those people that likes to uh, show diagrams. Oh, fantastic. Great. This is more than I was expecting. I hope you're watching. Anybody who's listening, make sure you go to YouTube and watch so Dr. Tung can give you some uh, visual examples here. Oh, you can see that they have like, these little pris like, you know, prism kind of peripheral blur. Yeah. So the center part you can see very clearly, but on the outside part, it causes that myopic defocus. So it, it moves that light to the front of the eye. Mm. So by doing that, it slows down the progression of myopia. Um, so they did this course. Well, the reason why I'm so excited about it is because when I went to a conference and I started learning about more about this land, it was like, you know what, there's just patients that don't want to wear contacts or they're too young or they can't put it in. Like, you know, the only option is atropine at that time. Mm. So I was waiting for this lens and, the, you know, by 2016, 2017, they actually released it in Asia and they commercialized by Hoya. And it's like, and all the colleagues that were in Asia, like, oh my goodness, Sherman, this is like, this lens is working well, this actually works, you know. You know, I was like, okay, when's it gonna come to Canada? So almost every single month, I'll be like calling my rep, Hoya rep. Hey, is it here yet? Oh, it's coming in uh, July. All right. Hey, is it here yet? Oh, there might be some delay. Hey, is it here yet? Oh, there's COVID. You know. <laughs> and that happens, right? Um, so finally, it released around sometime in um, this year, August, and we're the, you know, I know my rep was like, okay, fine, here you go, Sherman. Like, you know, you have to do a course, you have to do a class to learn more about the lens. And then once you get certified, then you can sell the lens. Um, so I've been using it since 
July. And, you know, those patients that been like, you know, about six months, their progression is like, you know, is a good alternative to kind of slow down the progression. So, um, and that's why I was so excited about it. Well, you know, you said the lens came out a few years back um, in Asia and they did, uh, they actually did some proper studies on the test. Well, you know, as I suppose, um, as well as studies go, they did a two-year clinical study and uh, it shows some pretty significant results. I think it well, was- I'll tell you why I love about that study was because it was randomized double mass study. There so, you go. Okay. Um, and it, so that's one of the reasons why I, I liked it. Um, so there was any bias. And then the study shows that it can slow down the myopia progression by 60% or 59%. Mm-hmm. But they also did something cool is that they also look at the axial length. Right. So that's going to be the feature of myopia. You have to measure the axial length. And they also show that it can slow down by 60%. Now, everything has pros and everything has cons. So one of the things that with this study was the subject group. It is between 8, or well, I think it's 8 to 12-year-old Oh, 8 to 13 or 8 to 12, I forgot, sorry. Um, okay. for, for Asian patients. So, you know, some can argue like, well, does it work for a different ethnicity? You know, how well someone that's 14 or 15, you know, does it work? Right. I mean, if it kind of works between then, you just kind of have to extrapolate the data and use your best clinical judgment. And yeah. I mean, I feel comfortable using someone that's under eight or someone that's over 14. I'll still feel comfortable prescribing it. Well, again, it, but just by extrapolating in by using my, I guess, my personal clinical experience, that's the age group that tends to progress the fastest to, in my experience, right? Is that sort of preteen, early teen years. Um, but of course, there I've had plenty of kids who are minus three by the time they're five years old um, and, you know, trying to jump on that lately up until now my first line of treatment has been atropine but definitely it's going to be changing significantly and i'm doing that course to get uh, certified in the um in the mild smart lens actually this week so uh, i'm going to come back to you with more questions next week probably about this uh what do you say so someone like me who's trying to get more into myopia management is the myo smart lens a good easy kind of way to get into it what's sort of like the benefits you'd say from a practitioner's perspective and the and the patient's perspective um, I think it is a good, you have, I mean, each patient is a little bit different, right? Like, I mean, you have to ask about their lifestyle, you know, you know, if the child, you know, doesn't play a lot of sports, stays at home, you know, the lens might be a good option. Okay. But if you start the lens off and let's say six months or one year, you do get some progression and it's like rapidly, then you might want to think about changing to okay lenses or a different type of method, right? Or you might want to add atropine too. So, I mean, is it a good starting point? Yes, you know, if someone that doesn't want to go into OK lenses or doesn't want to go into um, my site or whatever different other options, um, I think it is a good option. Um, but just be aware, don't think of it like, oh, this will solve all problems. And I think that's sometimes where doctors feel, oh, I feel comfortable. You know, like same thing, back to the glaucoma analogy, like, hey, you know what, this person has glaucoma, I'm gonna give them a prostaglandin and it's gonna solve everything. Well. So keep an eye on it. Make sure you still follow them up every three months. Hey, how are you doing? You know, just check if there's something that doesn't, not according to what you want, then you should be, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you might want to refer out to another colleague of yours that specializes in that or, you know, call them up or ask for a second opinion. Gotcha. gotcha. So one of the topics that I find, um, and this is a lot of this, this question is coming from personal experience, but conversations with other colleagues, 
one of the challenges we I have when it comes to specializing in something. And one of the things I've been working on kind of specializing a bit more is in dry eye um, over the last you know, year or so. One of the most kind of the biggest hurdles is when I bring in something that's new technology, there's always a fee attached to it for the patient talking about pricing, getting reimbursed adequately for the services that you're providing is so important when you're trying to specialize. Can you give some advice around, you don't have to talk about specific dollar amounts, but just advice around how do you, you know, do you have pushback from people when you're, when you're trying to specialize, recommend specialty options and how would you encourage someone, you know, like me, who's trying to get into the area to overcome that barrier, that kind of mental barrier that I have to talking about price? I mean, you know, some patients might be put off by how expensive things are, or, you know, how I approach it is a little bit different. Um, so first thing is I'm providing a service that will solve your problem. If I can do that and, you know, give you a plan and educate you what I'm going to be doing and where your value is going to be, then most of my patients will be agreeing to my services, right? They might question like, why is it so expensive or like, you know, but if you can take the time, educate them why we're doing this, how it will benefit you what I'm trying to achieve there, and they're kind of part of the process, usually they'll buy it. Mm. But if you go like, hey, this will help you, do it, this is the cost. No one's gonna buy it. Like, I'm, it's kind of like an investment, right? Like they can invest up to get my eyes better or invest and slow down the progression. Like what is your plan? You know, what are you gonna do? And you know, some things might help, you know, like for example, you can show your qualifications. So if you do a lot of the dry eye stuff, hey, I do dry eyes, I got certified here, this and this and this. Then, you know, we have the latest technology. We'll show you what each equipment is, why we're doing it, you know, how we're solving it. I think if you kind of sit, the time, sit down the time and kind of discuss that with them, then they'll appreciate it and they'll go somewhere else. Maybe if price is an issue, they might go somewhere else. Like, you know what, that doctor didn't address that. Or because usually you pay what you get. And a lot of patients understand that. So if you, provide a great service and you believe in it and you educate your patients, I don't think you should think that price should be hindered. And if they decide not to, I wouldn't just lower your prices just because of that. You still have to believe in your own services. I got you. Stick to your guns, kind of believe in what you're doing. I find that there's a disconnect between, um, I say it's $500 to get this treatment and it will make you better. And the person, and the person, you know, feeling the results of that treatment. If once they feel the results of that treatment, if it worked the way you said, then they'll say, great, that 500 bucks was worth it. But how do you get them to understand that that treatment is going to benefit them? And I guess education is really the key there. Um, uh, you know, and, and believing in what you're doing, I think is probably the biggest initial hurdle, right? And like believing that what you're actually doing is helping the patient, then you're going to be reimbursed adequately for it. Um, I think that's uh, one of the biggest, I'm going to just keep saying that because it's one of the biggest things that I've had to deal with over the last person, you know, 12 to 18 months is like being comfortable telling a patient that they're going to pay this fee for this service. And in the beginning, there were a lot of patients who are kind of like, forget that. But now as I've learned to kind of explain it to them a, a lot better and, uh, and educate them more appropriately, you see that the reactions are very different on the whole, actually. So I think one thing that really actually helps, I'm not sure if you do this, um, do you have any brochures, stuff that's geared towards your branding? Stuff with my branding? No, actually. So 
I feel like if you use a lot of what, sometimes you use a lot of um, other, you know, like let's say I'm gonna use Zydra, for example, you know, oh, here's a brochure, here you go. They're like, okay, well, this is Zydra's plan. This is not your plan. Mm. So things like, so this is why, like if I list out all the different type of myopia management, it's like, hey, this one's for you. You know, this is why I'm not doing this one. This one is for you, mm. you know, kind of customize, hey, your child's this prescription this is where it can go towards, you know. So maybe you can do like a list of, of like dry eyes. Okay, here's the whole dry eye spectrum. This is where you are at. You know, what we're trying to do is try to get you from here to here. And so sometimes like that, that might help. That's excellent. That's excellent. So do you have do you have uh, brochures or content like that printed out in your office that you hand like with your own branding on it? Yeah, so with every single consultation, I will give them something to take home that's customized for them. So when that's they awesome. take home, they understand that that plan was geared towards them. So if they do go price shopping, they'll go somewhere else. And if that's what differentiate yourself, right? So if they go somewhere else, like, well, you didn't talk about this or you didn't talk about that. Like, where's the brochure that's cut, like my plan customized to me? Right. One, one kind of funny story was when I went to, this is the first time I ever went to Kiel this year. Okay, you guys know, have you ever stepped into Kiel's? So you go in there and- oh, the, like, oh yeah, I've been to Kiel's, yes. So you know, it's, they sell stuff, right? So here they go. I was like, hey, let's do a skin test. I was like, what? What's a skin test? You go in there. They're like, let's do a customized skin test for you. And all they do is kind of take this litmus paper and they put it on your forehead or whatever for five seconds. And they're like, hey, let's match it. Oh, see, look, this matches. This is your skin. These are the products you need. And here I am. I was like, okay. Next thing you know, I stepped out. I spent like $150, $200 worth of products. And my wife was like, yeah, that's great for you. I was like, okay. But... You know, I, I saw the value, like this product is made for me. And, and, you know, like even if I go somewhere, like, oh, maybe I'll go buy from Body Shop, maybe it's cheaper, but hey, they, don't, they might not have the same product or they might not be doing a skin test. So just stuff that's personalized, like makes a big difference. That is yeah. genius. That's excellent. And I think that's a really uh, amazing way, amazing thing that we could actually implement in our practices. Like you actually, you've already been doing, right? Uh, so, so do a test. A legitimate test too. We're not just making something up here, right? We're legitimate test and then show the patient where they fall on the scale and then what the treatment is specific to them. That's awesome. Good, good job, Keels. Uh, I want to go back to something that you, you mentioned um, earlier, just super briefly here about axial length. Do you have anything that measures axial length in your office right now? So yeah, axial length is going to be the future. So if you're going to be like really into myopia management, um, the reason why is axial length will actually precede your, your prescription change. Mm. So sometimes that will change how you treat the patient. So let's say if I have a little kid or let's say the parents are minus seven each and you see this five-year-old kid and you're like, okay, they're plain old, but what's their risk? And so you measure their eyeball length and let's say, wow, I measured to be 25 or 26 millimeters. That's a very high number. Well, you know what? I might have to monitor this kid a little bit differently. I might have to now, maybe I can't wait one year. Maybe I'll have to see you back in three months. And if something happens, then I will start treatment earlier. Mm-hmm. But what I'm using right now is my OCT that can measure the axial length. Okay. But it's actually not very, very accurate. So this month, I am deciding between two different products to see which one I'm going to buy. Um, but axial length machines are not cheap. They're about 30 grand for each one. But if it's something that you know I believe in and it's, it follows my vision statement, then I'm most likely to get it this month. 
Exciting. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check back in with you on that too, because I'd, I'd love to hear about um, how useful that is in your practice. And maybe that's something I'll look at down the road for me as well. So uh, I love this whole conversation. Um, you know, we've t- covered a bunch of random, well, not random, but different topics, right? Your, your experience in the BCDO and giving back to the profession and the, the importance of that. Um, learning to specialize or how to specialize, when to specialize. And then within that, you know, myopia management, we're going to talk about two completely different things here. The last two questions that I like to ask everyone at the end of the podcast are a little bit existential. Some people have said, so just to prep you for that, before we get to that though, I want to just put out there, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way, you know, where can people find you? Where can people find your clinic? Um, you know, what's the, the best place for everyone to go? Um, so I'm actually located in Carousel, Vancouver. Um, the best thing to do is just look up. You can follow me on Instagram, follow us on Instagram at helloilab.com or just go to our website um, to find more information. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So the two questions, the first of the two, if we could hop in a time machine and go back to a moment where younger Sherman was struggling whether it's financially, you know, mentally, school, whatever it is, you're going through a tough time. You could share that moment if you want to share exactly what was happening. But more importantly, I'd like you to share what advice would you give yourself at that time? Well, that's probably be when I was in university. Um, One of the things that I don't felt like, I didn't feel like I kind of maximized my university years. Like pretty much you go to school, you know, you get your, you try to get your best grades you can, and then you go to the next level, you know, professional school. One thing I kind of regret, or, you know, I never really did was actually enjoy university. So, because all of our universities learn oneself, right? So I never really got, you know, there might be subliminally I learned about myself, but like, there's not lessons that like, hey, you know, this situation, you know, it's not just about this test score, you know, like what can I take from this? And I think, I think I read one of your blogs or something that just really resonated with me. It's like, you know, in school we learned, what was it, um, lessons to take a test, but then for the test, I actually saw it. Yeah, the, the, the quote was uh, in school, you, you learn the lesson and then take the test, but in life you get tested and then have to learn the lesson. So yeah, that's the part. So even though I was being tested outside, I didn't really, took it and learned my lesson until years later. Um, but that's where optometrists came in and that kind of filled in that gap to learn more about my, you know, even though optometry school for me was, I didn't find it that, I thought it easier than undergrad, to be honest. Yeah, um, I agree. But that's where I kind of learned more about myself, like living in a different city, learn, you know, I think going back, it's just, I wish I took a little bit more opportunity. It could be a little bit wiser, you know? You know what, Sherman, that's actually really, really good advice, man. You know, I wasn't, I'm not looking for any specific, you know, type of answer there it really is what comes to mind. And if that's what comes to mind, that's great. And I think that's so important in undergrad. That is where you do really learn a lot about yourself, right? You go from high school may not be comfortable for everybody, but it's a fairly comfortable environment in the sense of it's super safe, right? And, you know, when you go to university and things kind of expand and, it's a chance for you to meet new people and do different things. But when you move away, so you moved to Chicago, when I moved to Boston, same kind of thing happened. You realize that all these years you've lived in Vancouver, wherever you grew up, you've had a bubble of some sort. 
And when you move away, all of a sudden you're meeting completely different people from completely different places who do not think like you most of the time. So you are forced to learn, but it's beneficial if you can try to start that process in undergrad, like you're saying here. So just to let you know, I have a lot of university students that volunteer for me. So I'll share some of my wisdom with them. So sometimes I'll be like, come on in. Want to learn something about life today? Here, <laughs> come and listen to Uncle Sherman. <laughs> that's awesome. one of the fun things I like to do. That story time with Uncle Sherman. I love it. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Okay, so the last question. Sherman, everything that you've done up until this point, everything you've built, you know, president of the BCDO, your practice, how much of this would you say is due to luck and how much is due to hard work? For, for me, okay, because it could be different. What I believe in is that if you put your hard work into it, then opportunities will arise and that's where you become lucky. Okay, so if you don't put in the hard work, you know, you can't be really lucky. But at the same time, I know some people work so hard that they, you know, they don't get a break, right? right. So in my case, it's 50-50. Like wow. a lot, for me, it's 50-50. Um, I see an opportunity or like I'm lucky to see that opportunity and then I know that's the time when I need to work hard to seize that opportunity. So, but if I don't see that opportunity, then I won't really work very hard. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so, true. but you have to be lucky to see those opportunities also. So that's where I feel like sometimes I'm lucky, you know, being the president, like, you know, I was, it's just kind of that perfect timing where, you know, it kind of give you that luck to kind of get into it. Right. Yeah. And then I can become president of Tomichi school, you know, Back then, it was very, very competitive to get into autonomy school. Well, guess what happened? It was 9-11, and that's when, you know, enrollment was kind of down. So I was kind of lucky to get into. So you see, but, but if you didn't prepare, I didn't take my OET scores or whatever, then I wouldn't be able, if I'm not prepared, I wouldn't be lucky to get in. So, right. so that's why, 50-50 you know. is, is um, I, I, you know, that's, that's great. Most people, just so you know, most people answer like, you know, it's all hard work or it's 90% or 99%, whatever. And I know there's hard work. It's, it's impossible to get there without it, right? Um, but uh, it's, I think it's humble of you to, to really appreciate that and acknowledge that there's that luck involved. So that, that's cool. Well, that's, just, that's just for me, okay? So, oh, that's but, exactly, I, but I wouldn't use my advice. You know, like, <laughs> oh, just 50% luck. That's what Sherman said. I'm going to wait for those signs. Like, don't, don't. It's just how, what happened. Reflect, because I just celebrated my 40th birthday and I kind of like thought about it. So I was like, huh. So, yeah. Good, good, good. What did you do for your 40th? Anything fun? Uh, I decided to postpone it till next year. Fair. Like everything else. <laughs> like <laughs> everything else 30, in 2020. I'm going to be 39 for this year. I just do another year. Perfect. I'll celebrate my 40th birthday next year. You know, nobody will know. <laughs> That's all good, man. I'm sure everyone will be happy to still attend and celebrate with you, man. Uh, Sherman, any last words of wisdom? Any last things you want to share with us before we wrap up? Um. So as you, you know, you kind of question, you know, ask me about, you know, being president, you know, I think the last thing that, you know, any future optometrist or, you know, current optometrist, you know, I've been around with all different type of optometry, you know, like corporate, you know, industry, you know, academia, you know, at the end of the day, we won't be able to practice what we want to do with other association. And they're the one that's always fighting for our rights kind of like our union, and if we don't support them and invest in them, then our whole degree is kind of useless, you know? Mm -hmm. So be involved in the association, join your association, see what you can do, because the more 
optometrists are part of your association, the stronger we are, and we have a louder voice. Absolutely. Here, here. I could not agree more. Um, I just, just to echo what you're saying, Sherman, almost, you know, I don't know what large percentage of all the opportunities that have come to me through my, through the profession have come because of my connection to the association, either directly or indirectly meeting people like yourself and so many other amazing optometrists. Um, and on top of that, we don't have a profession unless we have someone advocating for our profession. And that's, uh, you know, uh, our association or, you know, whatever, pro, you know, provincial or state society or association in the U.S. as well. So make sure you get out there and, and be part of that. Make sure our voices are heard. Um, thank you so much, Sherman. I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to share your wisdom, your expertise and your insights for staying late at work to do it as well. And a big thank you to everybody who has tuned in, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, watching on YouTube or Spotify, whatever it is, make sure you subscribe, make sure you leave a review, let me know what you think. Give Sherman a shout if you have any questions about myopia control or pediatric optometry, I'm sure he'd be happy to help you as well. Thank you guys. And we will see you again for, with another episode next week. Take care.